worship of the Lord. I can't tell you how exciting it is to come and preach in Northwest. Amen. It was, it was a great time last week at Northeast, but I love preaching to God's people here. Part of, um, part of preaching the Word of God is pastoring. And uh, part of pastoring is knowing your people. And when you get to preach to the people that you know and you love, right, it's a wonderful thing. And uh, I'm grateful and thankful to preach to such a wonderful congregation who loves the Lord and loves one another. I was um, talking to someone this week. And they said, I hear great things about Northwest. And I said, oh, yeah, what did you hear? And they just said, well, I just hear that there's a sweet spirit of God, of people who genuinely care about one another and care about the Lord. And uh, I, I, I can't think of a better thing to, for somebody to tell me that that doesn't go to our church. Um, to hear about what God is doing here, um, the love for one another and the love for the Lord. <clears throat> we've been going through a series called Christ in All of Scripture, and we've been going through every Old Testament book, and this morning we land in the book of Zephaniah. Yeah, I know, you're excited, I know, I know, you, you know a lot about Zephaniah, I know that you've been studying it. But it's going to be fun because the minor prophets are teaching us something that we need to know and we need to hear. Remember, at the beginning of the year, the Lord kind of gave us this passage of Scripture to be our vision for the year for Northwest. And I'm going to read it for you. The idea was to live in preparation for eternity. And, and the scripture that he gave us in the beginning of the year was 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen? We just sang about this, right? We sang about thinking past our riches, our glory, what we own. To things that are eternal. Man, this about sums up every person at every age throughout the history of the world. God is preparing people for what comes next. Amen? And no place do we see that in the prophet Zephaniah. As he's pointing out what's coming is judgment. 
Most of the prophets are telling us judgment's coming and there's a better day coming. And Zephaniah gets there, but he doesn't get there till chapter 3. And we'll, we'll get there, trust me. The gospel is not the gospel unless we hear the good news, amen? But we are looking for a better day even now. But Zephaniah is looking for the ushering in of the kingdom of God. One in which Christ will overcome sin and death, bringing about victory on the cross. But it will come as the judgment of God is poured out upon Jesus. Ultimately, we look forward to a new day. Victory forever as Jesus will come back and establish the new heavens and the new earth and we're with them worth him forever but in the meantime today God calls his people to live in the fear of the Lord the title of the sermon is thus come to the Lord before it's too late all right Now, uh, in Zephaniah, it is all about judgment. The judgment of the Lord is coming upon his people. Now, sometimes in the prophets, when we read them, it's hard to understand where we are in the timeline of the scriptures. So Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 1 tells us where we are. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah. The son of Hezekiah in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So where are we in the time of the text of scripture? We are in the days of King Josiah. Now before we can understand Josiah and where we are, we have to understand the king who was before him. Well, actually there's a king in the middle of them, but he only lasted two years. So pretty much the king before him with his grandfather, Manasseh. Now let me read you a little bit about King Manasseh. All right? Second Kings chapter 21, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His, his mother's name was Hephzibah. If you were wondering his mother's name, it was Hephzibah, okay? And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord had drove out before the people Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed. And he erected altars for Baal. Baal, I can't, I can't figure out which one to pronounce it so I try to do both at the same time. Baal or Baal. Baal, right? Baal, all right. And he made Asherah and Ahab, king of Israel, had done and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. By the way, Baal and Baal, either pronunciation is correct. But this is not necessarily very funny. Manasseh erecting these altars in the temple of the Lord for these idols 
Verse 4, and he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, in Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his son as an offering and used fortune telling and omens and dealt with mediums and necromancer. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord provoking him to anger. Not a good dude. You have the temple of the Lord where his presence dwells among the people and he's setting up idolatrous altars to false gods. He's setting up worship of the sun, moon, and the stars, and then he's offering on these altars his own son. Human sacrifice. Now this is what would happen in the days of the Ammonites, the Amorites, the Canaanites that dwelt in the land before Israel was given the land. And this is why God destroyed those people in the days of Joshua because they had wicked practices such as this. And now God's people are practicing what the pagans were practicing before them. So 2 Kings 21 verse 11 says, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, had committed these abominations and had done these things, more evil than all the Amorites did who were before him, and has made Judah also to sin with his idols, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. That's what the Lord has said. Disaster is coming. Judgment is coming upon my own people because they have rejected me. Oh my, the judgment is coming. And after 55 years of wickedness, idolatry, practices that are of Satan, including child sacrifice, God has declared that the judgment is coming upon his own people, upon the city in which he has placed his name, Jerusalem. Upon the kingdom of David. And after Manasseh dies, Ammon is king for two years. He's assassinated, and his son is Josiah. Josiah is eight years old when he becomes king. Now I have an eight-year-old boy, and by no means is he ready to be king of Judah. I'll just tell you that, okay? But this is where Zephaniah begins preaching to God's people in Judah. An eight-year-old boy king with 55 years of wickedness, so much so that they've lost the word of God. They don't even know the first five books of the Old Testament. They have no idea what the Lord has said in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
The people of God have lost their way. And Zephaniah begins preaching. The people are far from God. And Zephaniah begins pronouncing the coming judgment upon Jerusalem and Judah. Come to the Lord before it's too late. Chapter 2, verse 1. This is our text this morning. So if you'll stand. The preaching of God's word or the reading of God's word this morning. We'll read this together as the body of Christ here. As we gather together and assemble as the people of God, to hear the word of God. Here's what it says to us this morning. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 1. Gather together. Yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. You can be seated. Father, we thank you for your word that it instructs us even today. A part of your scriptures, Lord, give us a heart that yearns, that sees, that hears, that understands who you are, what you are doing, and what you have done. Give us eyes to see so that we may respond in worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the great movies of my childhood was called The Sandlot. If, you, if you've never seen this movie, I'm about to give you the, um, the storyline of the, of the thing. So it's spoiler alert, okay? So if you need to plug your ears, that's fine. But if you haven't seen the movie, you need to. But this one kid, his name is Scotty Smalls, and he moves to town and moves into the neighborhood and all the kids do in the neighborhood is play baseball at the sandlot. Smalls tries to fit in, but he has a big hat. It's a fishing hat and his cap comes out to about here and he can't fit in with the other kids on the, on the baseball field and they, they run out of baseballs and Smalls sees a baseballs in his stepdad's office encased in glass. And he thinks to himself, well, we can use this baseball. So he goes into his stepdad's office. He takes it out of the glass. He takes the baseball to the field and he goes, I've got a baseball that we can play with today. Unfortunately, that baseball was signed by Babe Ruth. And so he takes the baseball and they're playing with the baseball and a kid hits the ball and it goes over the fence into Mr. Myrtle's yard. <clears throat> and Mr. Myrtle has a dog that's called the Beast. And the story goes that they're so terrified of getting into the backyard to get the ball that they cannot retrieve the ball. 
because they think they'll be eaten by Mr. Myrtle's dog. So, at the end of the movie, after they've tried everything to get this ball, Small goes, Smalls goes to the door of the house, and instead of being a mean old man in which they've heard stories about, Mr. Myrtle invites them in and gives them something to drink and actually replaces the torn up Babe Ruth chewed up baseball with the signed baseball of the entire 1927 Yankees team. You see, this terrifying judgment coming is just like the beast on the other side of the fence. Yet knowing what is coming, God is inviting his people to himself. How can an angry God, how can an angry God with our sin still invite us to himself? Mm. It's a good question. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So how can an angry God with sin still invite us into his presence? Well, that's where the gospel meets the judgment. God in his salvation brings about salvation through his judgment. And this time, he pours out his judgment on the cross of Christ, not us, so that we will be saved. The God of grace and mercy is wanting none to perish. So he calls for them to come in humility, finding him seeking refuge in him for their salvation before the judgment comes, before it's too late. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 2 gives us a little bit about what the judgment is coming upon Judah. And he says, I will utter, utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of heaven, the fish of the sea, and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Is this in God's nature? We have already seen this in Genesis with the flood. God sweeps everything off the face of the earth as a result of the sin of mankind. 
And he is saying this to his people in Jerusalem. Verse 4, I will stretch out my hand against Judah, against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal. And the name of the idolatrous priest, along with the priest, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom. Those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Now, Milcom is most likely another name for Molech, in whom the Ammonites would sacrifice their firstborn to for what they believed would give them financial prosperity. Remember, God drove out the Canaanites for their wickedness. He gave the land to God's people so that he could be glorified and the land would be blessed. And now the people have become worse than those who were before them. They have mixed their practices with the world and now look worse than the world. Yet God does not leave his people in the pit of destruction. He gives them a word, the word through Zephaniah. And this morning, if you have woken up and you do not recognize yourself because of what you are doing in your life, God has a word for you. He has not forgotten you, his people. And he has sent Zephaniah to invite you to seek the Lord in humility. Verse 1, gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation. This is point one for this morning. God invites his people to gather together. The judgment is coming, and now God is saying something as a response of the coming judgment. He says, for his people to gather. There is always a therefore in the scriptures, and this is the therefore. Gather together because the judgment is coming. Verse 2 says, The day passes away like chaff. The Hebrew word here, gather, is derived from the word straw or rubble. One commentator suggests that the translation can be gather together, gather like straw. Now, this understanding of straw and chaff, there was a known process in which the chaff or the meaningless material was cast aside to separate the wheat from the chaff. This is called the winnowing process in which the grain or sometimes the grass or straw is separated on the threshing floor. In biblical times, the grain was threshed or trampled, crushed, beaten to separate the inedible parts of grain called chaff. The lightweight chaff, as they threw it into the wind, would blow away into the wind or was burned as fuel In the fire, the grain was tossed. The light, airy material would blow the chaff and separate the good grain from the material 
that was meaningless. So he calls God's people to gather, yes, gather together. You see, the gathering here is a call to not be blown into the fire as chaff. To gather together in repentance to avert the judgment of God. You see, the church in the Greek, the term is ecclesia. It's the called out one's assembly. It is the gathering of those who are called out by the Lord as his people. Let me read something for you as we continue on. John the Baptist, as he was baptizing Jesus, said these words in Matthew 3, verse 11. I baptize you, speaking of Christ, with water. I'm sorry. I baptize you, talking to the people, with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, speaking of Christ, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. Speaking of Christ, this winnowing process And God calls the people to gather together so they are not destroyed in the fire of God's judgment. Have you ever thought about that? The church, the gathering of God's people as God's invitation for you to avert the judgment of God. Gather together. Yes, gather, O shameless nation. O church, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds is way more than a good coffee and donuts. It is clinging on to one another with the hope of Christ, not letting go the promises of God And also not letting go to the person next to you. We will not become like chaff. Because we gather together in repentant spirit of the living God. Asking him to grant us his salvation. I want you to look at Psalm chapter 1. You know this. With the context of gathering of the righteous. Psalm chapter 1 verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Nor stands in the way of sinners. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his delight he meditates day and night. 
So in verse 1, there's this counsel of the wicked, way of sinners, the seat of scoffers. There is this congregation of the wicked. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. There you go. Psalmist, Zephaniah have the same idea. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So yeah, the gathering matters. Relationships within the gathering matters, not just for you, but the person in front of you. The person behind you. The person next to you. As the world around us and our nation gets worse, God calls the church to gather together so that we don't get tossed by the wind of the world and be thrown into the fire. Gather together. Yes, gather, O shameless nation. Israel has become a shameless nation. They have gone their own way, oblivious to the consequences of their own sins. In Baal worship, the worship of Molech, there's often ritualistic prostitution and sexual sin associated with the worship of these gods. They, in essence, have become unashamed of their sexual sin. The Hebrew word here for nation is the term goy, and it's used normally for pagan people. But yet is used for Israel. Oh, same shameless nation who is pagan. Mm. Three things highlight the worship of Baal and Molech that cause Israel to become like pagans. They set up idols in the place of God. They have become complacent about God thus have constructed a life without God as the center. Gather together is his call. The second thing is they commit sexual sin and have become unashamed of it. Shameless nation. And they commit child sacrifice for the parents' benefit. So they will have financial prosperity or what they think will be financial prosperity by sacrificing their own children. I don't know how to describe the current culture in America better than that. Look at Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 12. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps And I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their good shall be plundered. Their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. Is that the day and age in which we live? The Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. We'll go on building and 
in making our companies and making them great. God will never come upon his own people, will he? Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. This is our second point this morning. God invites his people to gather together before the judgment comes. God invites his people to gather together before the judgment comes. This is an interesting thing, isn't it? Time. If you're, if you're going to get ice cream with a friend, but you don't show up until the next day, you've missed the chance to meet with your friend. Time is an interesting thing. Time in our world is the new currency. In today's world, time is money, money is time. And and the word here through Zephaniah is saying, gather together before it's too late. The, the reason for gathering as the remnant who will not be tossed out is given here because the judgment is coming. Judgment is coming for Judah. But Judgment coming for Judah is just a glimpse of the judgment that's coming for the whole earth. As, as you read chapter 2, it continues on about the judgment of the whole earth. Chapter 3, judgment of Jerusalem. But if you read in our Bibles, the judgment is coming upon the whole earth. Revelation chapter 6, verse 12 When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth, the moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. What is happening? It's the decreation. God has set things in order and now it's, it's, it's becoming decreated. The, the sun became black. There was no more light. The moon became like blood. The stars in the sky fell to the earth. The fig tree said its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. Chaos. Why? Because God has taken his hand off of his creation. Then the kings of the earth, the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Calling to the mountains and rock, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb 
for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? You see, we will all face the judgment of God. You think, man, what, what kind of God is this? Who judges people according to their sin? Who will cast them off into judgment in the fire? Eternal lake of fire? You think, what kind of God is this? It's a God who is just and right. Who by no means will clear the guilty whose wrath is poured out because of his righteousness and his right judgment. But the invitation is still there, Rob. The invitation to gather before the day of judgment, he is still calling. Gather together before the day comes. He's calling. In the days of Josiah, remember the boy king, eight years old, The word of the Lord came through Zephaniah. A great revival came about. The boy king did away with the idolatry. He did away with the priests of Baal and Molech. And the people turned back to the Lord. And when Josiah was 18 years old, as they were doing renovations on the temple, the high priest found a book. It was probably hidden in a wall. Or in a closet somewhere. And the book was the law of God. The first five books of the Bible written by Moses. And they began reading the Bible. They began reading the law and the scriptures and what God has said. The God of creation and what he had said to Moses and how he determined for his people to live. And he, and he, and he saw how far God's people had come. And they, they wept, and they cried in repentance. And God relented from his disaster for a time. But if, if we just were thinking that this God is just wanting us to repent, we would be wrong. That's not all he wants to do in your life. He wants to lavish you with his favor. He wants to give you everything as his child. He wants to give you his good gifts. He wants to give you himself. It's not just he wants your repentance He wants to sing over you. Verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. This is point number three. God invites his people to gather together before the judgment comes to seek God for his salvation. He wants you to, he invites the people, the wicked people of Judah. He invites them. Come. 
before it's too late. Judah must realize that the only adequate refuge from the consuming wrath of Yahweh may be found in Yahweh himself. Seeking the Lord is almost a technical term that means to worship and obey God. The prophet further defined the term by calling the people to seek righteousness, seek humility. What does that mean? I just wrote some things down. Humility says I need God. Humility says I am against God in my sin. Humility says there is no other God. Humility says I need a new heart. Humility says I will trust in God. Humility says God's way is better than my way. It's submission to the Lord as king of your heart and of your life. Micah defined the proper relationship with God as acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with your God. So Zephaniah begins with the book with judgment is coming. He, in the middle of the book, chapter 2, it says, perhaps you may be hidden on that day when the judgment comes with the remnant. So gather together. But he ends his book and says, there will be a remnant who will gather together who I will rejoice over. Think about this. The judgment is turned to rejoicing. So much so that the God of heaven rejoices and sings over you, his people. This is what it says in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14. Don't miss this. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let your hand, not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Amen? Our God, the one who will save, he will rejoice over his people who are deserving the judgment and the wrath of God with gladness. Why? Because the judgment prepared for you, his people, was placed upon the cross of Christ. The Lord has taken his judgments away that we're against you. The Lord doesn't just want repentance. 
He wants to bless you. He wants to rejoice over you with gladness. He wants to quiet you by his love. He wants to sing over you, his people, that glorify his name. Can you feel the wonder of that today? Say, no, I can't. I'm too guilty. I'm unworthy. My sin is too great and the judgments against me are too many. God could never rejoice over me. This is what John Piper says. God foresees your hesitancy. He understands, so his prophet says, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Can you not feel the wonder that the Lord exults over you with loud singing today, even though you have sinned? Can you not feel that the condemnation has been lifted because he has bruised his own son in your place? If you would only believe that God of the universe wants to save you, He wants to give you life and life abundantly. What an awesome God. What a fantastic God. I want to worship this God. I want to understand this God. And I want this God to be my God. This is God's people. This is the story that Zephaniah had for God's people. Gather, O church, for the worship of our God in repentant hearts. For he is the God of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would Give us a heart to come to you before it's too late. Before our heart has been hardened by our own sin. Wake us up that we may realize what is important in our life today. Help us to see our life in light of your word that we may find ourselves in a place where we are rejoicing in the God of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.